Hi, my friends, and welcome to From Here to There. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing about the lives of many people throughout history and people alive today that God has worked through in order to bring increase and influence of His kingdom here on earth. But in this first series, I'm really looking forward to sharing with you my story, how God was able to take me from powerless to powerful and from the nest to the nations. I really believe that as you listen, God is going to give you keys to moving forward toward your God destiny. So let's get started with this week's message. God had a good and a holy purpose for marriage in the beginning. While we know that the curse and the fall have damaged that purpose, I believe we're living in the day of the revealing of the sons and daughters of God and the time when our marriages can begin to look like what God originally intended. He plans for our marriages to be power unions that not only raise up godly children, but also release glory in the areas of influence that He's given to us. Today we're going to talk about what's possible in our marriages with His focus and anointing upon us as power couples. Now, I've been single on the mission field for almost 23 years, so it certainly is possible to work alone. I just don't think it's preferable. Through the years, I've been blessed to watch a number of our Bible school graduates marry, and it brings me great joy and anticipation as I watch these power couples impact their regions. Today, I'm going to share my revelation on the power of marriages in the last days. It was almost 15 years ago, one day in prayer school in the Philippines, we got into a flow of praying for marriages. And I was very impacted that day by the vision God gave me of glory unions in the last days. God ordained marriage from the very beginning in Genesis. And again, we find a marriage in the last book of Revelation, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so although Apostle Paul taught that it was good to remain single, I believe his purpose was in the context of being able to focus on ministry and avoid the cares and distractions of life. And some are called to this single-minded focus, but for most, I believe the scriptural pattern is the most powerful. After all, we must have godly families to raise godly children, to increase the kingdom. I love what God said about Abraham in Genesis 18, 19. He says, I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, and that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. So we all know that we're getting close, but nobody knows exactly when Jesus will return. So in the meantime, life goes on and we are about our Father's business, sharing the gospel in our regions, in the nations, bringing the kingdom into our communities. And much of this is done through godly marriage unions and the children who are our legacy. You know, recently I was studying on inheritance and the inheritance that God has for us, the legacy that God has for us. Well, we can leave a legacy to our children of finances or of property, but I really believe that our children are our inheritance. They're our legacy, just like we are God's legacy. We're His inheritance. And so it's very important to have godly unions and strong homes 
strong marriages in order to raise up solid, well-balanced, godly children. Now, nobody said marriage was easy, but the Bible does say that two are better than one. And I feel like that in this strategic time, more than ever, we need power unions and not just fleshly connections. There's a Beatles song. It always comes to my mind. Life is very short and there's no time. Fussing and fighting, my friends. I always think of that because there's too much fussing and fighting. There's too much fussing and fighting in the church. And there's too much fussing and fighting in marriages. One thing you notice as a single person is how many petty things married people seem to argue about. So we need to keep our heavenly perspective, my friends. God needs our power teams to work for and with him in these days. And we must be watchful to stay in power by our agreement. So I believe that vision should be the priority in a marriage. Two visions or division, as we say, will dilute the power of the union. I remember when I first lost my husband and I did want to remarry. And at that time, I thought it's going to be difficult in the place I live to find a godly man my age. But then when one of my leaders told me, Tony, you need to find someone called to missions, I thought, oh, geez. It's going to be hard enough to find a godly man my age in my location, much less one that's called to missions. And it sounded impossible, and I guess it kind of was, because I still haven't found him yet. But now I totally understand. Marrying the wrong person could have altered the plan of God for my life. So vision in a marriage will keep us going the same direction. And I've seen vision to overshadow many other irritations as far as personality and habits are concerned in marriages that I've witnessed. We want to be seeing the same thing for the future and working together toward it. This creates a great heart connection and a great focus, and our unity brings great power to the forward motion of our marriage and our family. God had a reason for marriage in the beginning, and it was, one, for companionship, and two, to work together, and three, to have good success. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. If they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. And again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? So one, although one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So we know this isn't particularly talking about marriage. It is particularly talking about not being alone. And if you're not married, you certainly should have uh, relationships in your life that can lift you up and that can strengthen you. But I love how he says in verse 12, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And in Bible teaching, we usually think that is an analogy of the Lord Jesus Christ working in the middle of a marriage where two become one and Christ is in the union. He's the one, his vision and his anointing that will keep your marriage strong and keep it focused. So some people think there's just one perfect God-ordained person for them. And, you know, I've thought about this and I just decided that it can't be true 
Because if that was true, and even one person married the wrong person, all of the rest would be marrying wrong people forever. So no, there's not just one, but God will bring you options. God will bring you possibilities. There's no perfect person. Have you ever shopped for a house? I've been shopping for a house, and every house that I look at, there's good things and there's bad things. I haven't found one perfect house. I guess that's why people design their own house. They think they're going to build the perfect house, but I imagine even then it's not perfect. So there's no perfect partner. Marriage takes work, but in the end, it will benefit us by making us stronger and by making us more balanced in every way. I did an earlier podcast on culture, and you know, marriage is a mini context of two cultures coming together. While we see it more accentuated on the mission field, it's the same thing. We have two people from two different backgrounds, two ideologies coming together into one. And as I explained in that podcast, the purpose of cross-cultural relationships isn't to fight, it's to make us richer, it's to make us stronger. And so your marriage partner, what they bring to the union should make you stronger, not bring you apart. Your spouse can be your best accountability partner. They should be the one who loves you enough to be honest with you and to believe with you for personal increase. Your spouse should and could be your biggest supporter. But what the enemy wants to do is make them your vital enemy. In an unredeemed marriage, our strengths are used against each other oftentimes when God intends for them to make us greater together than we are apart. So ideally, in the kingdom, your strengths should cover your partner's weakness and theirs yours. Doesn't always work that way, but today we're talking about possibilities, what is possible in Christ. So I want to talk for a minute about interesting things I learned about marriages in other cultures. Well, here in the Western world, we pursue marriage by falling in love, and being in love is a wonderful feeling, but true love is not really a feeling, it is a commitment. So something interesting I found out while in Nepal was that often the arranged marriages that they have there work out better then the Western love marriages, as they're called. Many of the older generation of pastors in Nepal, in Pakistan, in India, had marriages that were arranged by their parents or even their pastors, and the individuals I know are all very happy with the choices. Whether or not an arranged marriage is good pretty much depends on the character of the father in particular. <laughs> One pastor's wife from Pakistan that was in our school told me that her father and his sister arranged for their two children to marry. She married her first cousin, her aunt's son. When I asked if she was happy with that decision, she told me, my father loves me and he knows me better than anyone. I trusted that he could find the best husband for me. She said she and her cousin met and liked each other and they are still happily married to this day and pastoring a large work that's impacting their region. Another Pakistani leader that came a different year was an unmarried young man who told me when we asked him if he had a girlfriend that it was not his turn yet and that after his sister married, his parents would begin looking for a partner for him. 
Now, these kind of stories make me wonder, since our American love marriages have such a high divorce rate, even in the church, what is it about the arrangement and the commitment that tend to be more lasting in these cultures? I guess I'm not really advocating for arranged marriages, although I do think that your parents, you know, might have a good idea of what kind of a person you might do well with, who might compliment you. But in arranged marriages, they can still be corrupted, you know, by wrong morals and by wrong motives. In Hindu, Nepal, marriage was traditionally arranged and most likely as with throughout history in kingdoms in Tudor England, arranged for family alliances, arranged for what would increase the family. But good parents would never force their daughter to marry someone she did not like. The stories we hear of these corrupt fathers who sell their young daughters to old men who have other wives, you know, these are, these kind of corruptions can happen in any context. And so it's not the arranged marriage that's necessarily wrong, but the bad motives that make it wrong. Polygamy is still practiced, I found, in Nepal, as it is in many parts of the world, Africa, many nations in Africa. And so here's a question for you that we faced as Christian leaders. What do you do if someone becomes a Christian and comes into the church and they already have two wives? Hmm. I'm not going to give you an answer for that one because I've heard different ones. But God isn't surprised by these circumstances. This was the norm even in the Old Testament. Even David, one of my favorite Bible characters, had numerous wives. And yet in the New Testament, Jesus set us straight on God's heart when he said, Matthew 19, 3, The Pharisees came to him, testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning, quote, made them male and female, and said, quote, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined let not man separate. And they said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? Jesus said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. So we see that Jesus is saying originally God intended for one man to be married to one wife for eternity. It was an eternal union. Marriage is this basic union that makes up the church, the body of Christ. And godly families form the foundation of our influence in the world around us as a church. So God's power is available to anoint our marriages for the time we are living in. Contrary to what some people think, marriage is not 50-50. It is 100-100. That's why I believe two are better. Two whole people make a marriage doubly strong, 200%. I know that as a woman, I felt at times incomplete, missing the male component and especially in ministry. But the word says that we are complete in Christ. Colossians 2.9, in him, Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. So if all the fullness dwells in Jesus and he's in me, 
then I am complete. Yet, as we have been saying from the beginning, God said it wasn't good to be alone and that two are better. You know, there's so much confusion today about male and female. I read an interesting book lately called Embodied by Preston Sprinkle, and it is about the current transgender issues and the church. One thing it opened my eyes to particularly is the need for us Christian people to love those who are tormented and confused over their gender. But what I found especially interesting in the book was the stereotypes of male and female that the transgender culture promotes. There's something they call today rapid onset gender dysphoria. And this refers to the increased, tremendously increased number of adolescents who seem to be confused or disoriented with their gender. So this book said that the great majority, I want to say three-fourths or two-thirds of these confused adolescents who want to transition are females who want to be men. This makes me wonder why. Why are these young women so uncomfortable with who they are? And I think it may have a lot to do with these gender stereotypes that people promote and yet yield to by saying, because I feel this way, I must be male or I must be female. We all have to laugh, or I would say I've cried before, at the stereotypical traits of men and women. But in the kingdom, we see there are women leaders who tend to be unemotional, as well as men who are sensitive. There is a wide variety of unique personalities in both the sexes, and God made us that way. So we girls grew up waiting like helpless princesses for Prince Charming to rescue us and somehow feeling that we were less without him. I mean, I know I felt that at the beginning of my ministry. I never thought I could do any of this by myself. And as I said in the beginning, I wish I hadn't have had to. I think it would have been easier if I had had a husband working to work with because two are better than one and because there are female qualities and male qualities that work together. However, the truth is that as a single woman, or and I would say the same for a single guy, we must learn to be whole and complete in Christ in order to bring 100% into our marriages. If we have two people that are looking for a partner to complete them, in other words, they're looking for someone to lean on, they're looking for someone to make them full or complete, that's a wrong motive and that's going to make a weak marriage. The picture we see in the Bible of Adam and Eve standing side by side, now this is before the fall, where God gave them both the command to take dominion on the earth, to rule and to reign, and they were to work together. And as I taught in my previous podcast on women, Eve was to be the helpmate to Adam, which didn't necessarily mean follow him around waiting for orders. The word helpmate, ezer kenegdo in the Hebrew, is most of the time scripturally referred toward God, that God is our helper, Holy Ghost is our helper. So we aren't looking at a weak helper. We're looking at a strong helper. Adam and Eve stood side by side, complementing one another and ruling together. And we actually have no biblical picture of what marriage looked like before the fall. You know, they fell so quickly, (laughs) 
in Genesis that we don't see the pattern of how they looked as a whole godly union, the way God intended. The only picture we really have in Scripture would be Christ and the church. And we know that Jesus is coming for a fully mature, strong, beautiful bride who's ready to reign with him. He's not coming for a Cinderella rag girl that's dressed in rags and a slave that's cleaning floors for him. No, if Jesus is a king and he is a king, he needs a bride that can reign with him, that can hold her head up. Did you know that crowns are heavy? I read this book about Princess Diana and it talked about how Queen Elizabeth had to practice wearing her crown while she worked in her office for hours at a time before she had to go on an official mission because holding that crown up with your neck took some practice. And so I think of that when I think of us as the bride of Christ and standing together side by side before Jesus to reign with him. You know, we've got to be strong and we've got to hold our heads up. We know that Jesus is coming for a fully mature, strong, beautiful bride. And so that is who we are becoming. It's my conviction that we're living in a time when there's more revelation today of God and his word and of his kingdom than ever before. In the past 25 years alone, if you look at the teaching that's come out, even in the secular world, say on leadership, I mean, before that, there was hardly any teaching on leadership. Now we have Boku teaching on leadership. What about on men and women? Men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. Really, we know that throughout history, men and women obviously knew they were different. And I'm sure that they all had their ideas about it, but there wasn't studies and books written on it until recently, at least as far as I know. Books about raising your children and whole theories of child raising that are entirely different than anything in generations before. So it's my feeling that we're moving back toward Eden as we approach the second coming of Christ, and heaven and earth are converging. I think of it just in the matter of the internet. You know, 25 years ago, it would have been a dream to actually see and talk to someone at the same time. It would have been like the Jetsons, you know, space future. And today, I can message anybody all over the world in an instant. I can be everywhere. I can know things instantly. And I believe it's kind of a foreshadowing of how it's going to be in heaven. It's heaven and earth are converging. And this is why, my friends, we must believe God for the power to be here and now what he intended for our marriages to be. Power unions to release glory on the earth and build the foundation for a future generation that may be the last before the millennium. So let's not major on the minors. Let's lift up our expectation and believe that we can redeem God's purpose for our marriages now. That is my prayer for you. I'm going to pray for you now. I'm going to pray for you who are married. I'm going to pray for you who are single. And I believe that God is watching over his word to perform it in your life and in your marriage. Father, I just thank you that your eyes are looking over all the earth. Your word says looking to show yourself strong toward those who are loyal, whose hearts are loyal to you. So, Father, look upon my friends who are listening. Look upon their situations. I remember that in Psalm 103 where it says, You crown us 
with loving kindness and mercy and you bring to us the Amplified says what we need in our particular age and situation. So that is my prayer for all who are listening today, Lord, whatever their age, whatever their situation, you are the God that is more than enough and you have made them complete in you. I thank you, Jesus, that your power is available to bring new life, to revive marriages that have lost their focus, to revive relationships that have damaged one another. In the name of Jesus, I speak new life. I speak awakening. I speak revival. Open our eyes, Lord, to the times we're living in and to the critical importance of our families and marriages in the earth today. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for your anointing upon marriages in the church in this day that we may rise up and be and demonstrate to the world the beautiful unions that you have ordained for us to be. And for my friends who are single, I thank you, Lord, that you are the greatest matchmaker. You are the matchmaker who sees all and knows all. And I pray for everyone listening and for everyone that's in our hearts who are listening, those we're praying for. I pray, Lord God, that you would send your angels out to bring these power couples together so that they can bring influence in their generation and in the future through their children. I thank you and I praise you that this is your time, this is your day, and you are able to do what you promised to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for listening today, and I hope this has blessed you. If it has, share it with somebody. I'm really looking forward to the next couple sessions with you as I finish up my story and begin to prepare to go into the lives of other people who have impacted their generations. I give you my love. I love you guys. Thank you. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much for joining me for this podcast today. I pray that you received something that will build you and move you forward in God's plan for your life. Well, I'm coming near to the end or the close of this first series on my story. And my plan is to follow with stories about others who have turned their dreams into deeds and changed history in their generation, those that we are building upon. But I want to make sure that you're aware of a short video course that I'll be launching soon on following the Holy Spirit. This is eight lessons that I filmed and designed in order to help you learn to know the voice of God and to know and follow how He leads. You can find out more by visiting our website at dunamisworld.org. That's D-U-N-A-M-I-S-W-O-R-L-D dot org. You can also find a giving link to partner with us on our work in the nations on our website. God richly bless you, my friends, today, and know that I'm praying for you.